We have sung a lot about the death of Christ, the crucifixion and the resurrection today. And you can't separate the birth of Christ from the death of Christ, from the crucifixion of Christ to the salvation that Christ brings. And as we think over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas about being thankful for Jesus, I was at uh, my sister's house on Thursday night, and some of us brothers and sisters, um, my two brothers have, and their families have already had COVID, and one of my sisters and her families all had COVID, so we just all came together anyway, and uh, since we all, most of us have had it, and we had a time to sit around the room and to take a moment and share something you're thankful for, one of the blessings of this past year. And as we were getting prepared to do that, my brother-in-law took his Bible and opened to three very short verses that Paul shares at the end of 1 Thessalonians, where he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I just was reminded again, These are not suggestions. There's not an exemption clause that when there's a pandemic or life gets hard, then we don't have to do these kinds of things anymore. These are laid out for us as commands. These are imperatives that we are to be people who rejoice, that we are to be people of prayer, that we are to be people in everything that we are called to give thanks. Now, listen, if we can only rejoice when life is going our way, what difference is that from the world around us? If if we can only give thanks when when everything in our life is orchestrated the way that we want it to be, then how is that different from someone out in the world? The truth of the matter is, is that Paul lays it out to us, and the challenge is for us that in everything, that's a pretty inclusive statement, that in everything we are to give thanks. 700 years before Jesus came to the earth, through the prophet Isaiah, God gave us a picture of who the Messiah would be and why he would come, and how it can change our life. And because of that message, we hold and look at Scripture and say, man, Scripture is true because this was prophesied about 700 years before Jesus came. But most of all, we stop and we pause and we say, thank you, God, for sending your son. So take your Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and I want us to think this morning about being thankful, being thankful for Jesus because he is our sacrifice for sin. Isaiah chapter 53, this is such a great section of scripture, but we're going to pick up in verse number four, and we are going to read two stanzas. This is actually written in five stanzas. We're going to read two of them, but keep your Bible open, and if this passage of scripture is not marked up in your Bible, I encourage you to take some time and read and review this passage. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse number four. Surely he, the Messiah, the suffering servant, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. From, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I I pray today that you would just renew our focus and reignite our passion to be people who are thankful. It's in your son's name, our savior and sacrifice for our sin, the blessed Lord Jesus, who now reigns from the throne. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Most of the time when we think about Isaiah and the prophecies of Isaiah around this Christmas time, we think of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, where it says that, behold, the Lord will give a sign to you that the virgin will conceive and bring forth the son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We, we think of the prophecy of the birth of Jesus. We also think of that passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you listen to Handel's Messiah this time of the year, you understand those those words come out frequently. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. But Isaiah not only gives the details of the first coming of Jesus, but he gives the reason for his coming. He reminds us in Isaiah chapter 53 that as the suffering servant, that he was ultimately going to give his life to pay the penalty or punishment for our sin and that he was going to rise Again, now there was a lot of confusion surrounding the prophecies of the Messiah. Many would look at the government being upon his shoulder and his name being called Wonderful Counselor and thinking, hey, God is going to send this awesome governmental leader, this authority who's going to come in and he's going to sweep off the Romans and he's going to make a way for us to live in our kingdom here on the earth. And scholars, biblical scholars and Jewish scholars in the past did not know how to handle Isaiah 53. 
It's on this side of the cross and with the teachings of Jesus now that we understand that Jesus did come the first time, born of a virgin, who ultimately died on the cross for us and rose again. And he is coming again. And one day all the governments will be upon his shoulders. And as Psalm 2 says that all of the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. Jesus is coming. We await that coming. His next coming is going to be in glory. And it is going to be glorious. But now we wait. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, he preached and the people waited and waited and waited and waited. Since the cross, we've been waiting about 2,000 years. And Jesus hasn't come yet. And there are challenges and there is the rampant uh, vileness of sin all around us. And yet... We have hope because of who Jesus is. And as believers in a world that has been turned upside down this year, we have so much to be thankful for. So I want us to to look through Isaiah 53 this morning and be thankful for Jesus and how he has worked in our life in bringing salvation Nancy Lee DeMoss has written a book called Choosing Gratitude. And in her book, she says, undeniable guilt, that's us in our sin, plus undeserved grace equals unbridled gratitude. And that's where we should find ourselves today as we look at the life and see the ministry of Jesus. That we in our sin should be able to look at how the undeserved grace of God came into our life through Christ and through salvation and should bring us to a place of unbridled gratitude no matter what the circumstances are around us. So let's think through being thankful for Jesus. We should be thankful for Jesus. First off, uh, and, and really, I'm going to lay these out in the form of a command. Be thankful for Jesus uh, because of his perfect life. Be Because of Jesus' perfect life. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus never committed any sin. In order to be a sacrifice for our sin, he had to be spotless and un. Blemished. We find that Pilate's wife was warned in a dream not to have and told Pilate, don't have anything with this just man. That Pilate himself said, I find no fault in him. And Judas, after he has betrayed Jesus, says, I have betrayed innocent blood. The disciples could give testimony and, and the uh, messages of Jesus that his preaching was done in truth and that his life and his love and his ministry were unblemished and without sin. We find even in Isaiah chapter 53 that we're going to get a picture of Jesus' life and being unblemished. Notice with me as we think about Isaiah 53, notice down in verse number 11. It says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Now, what we find is Jesus was a righteous servant. Remember in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 3, it tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. And yet the Bible calls this suffering servant, this Messiah who is to come, calls him righteous. Now, Jesus was fully committed 
to God's will in his life, that he fulfilled God's plan perfectly and without any misstep along the way. Jesus walked in God's will. Jesus taught in God's will. Jesus spoke in God's will. Jesus loved in God's will. So that no matter what was going on in life, Jesus was always righteous. Jesus was committed to the Lord's will in his life. Even as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he would pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was absolutely committed to God's will. But not only was he committed to God's will in his life, but he was submitted to God's will in his death. Submitted. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 53, because we see this picture of submission as well. Notice with me down in, in verse number seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You know, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 53, Jesus claims that he could call down 12 legions of angels if he wanted to. Now, a Roman legion was somewhere between four and 6,000 soldiers. Now, if you look back in the book of, of Second Kings, when the Assyrians were threatening uh, the southern tribes of, of, of Judah, the Lord sent one death angel and he took out 185,000 Assyrians. Just imagine if Jesus would have sent legions of angels at that moment. He could have wiped out everyone in the vicinity actually could have wiped out anyone and everyone on planet Earth. And yet Jesus was absolutely submitted to God's will. The Romans were doing exactly what they wanted to do. The Jewish leaders were doing exactly what they wanted to do. And they did not understand, but what was happening was exactly what God wanted to happen. And Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Which leads us to our second thought, that we are not only thankful for Jesus' life, but we are thankful for Jesus' death. We're thankful for Jesus' death. This is the picture of hope for our life. The picture that brings us a, a sense that we can uh, know that, that we can press on and we can experience forgiveness because of the death of Christ. Now we have a problem. It is a universal problem. It is not a local problem. It is not a nationwide problem. It is a universal problem. And the world, every person in the whole wide world has a problem. And that problem is sin. And the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God, that God is perfect and holy and just. And the Bible tells us that sin is very serious. When we think about sinners around Christmas, we often like to point to people like Dickens, Ebenezer, Scrooge. You know, we look at this miserly old, mean, greedy man. Or we think about Mr. Grinch. I actually was, I heard that song this week, and so I thought, you know, I have never actually taken the time to look up the lyrics to that song. I don't know. Have you ever? I mean, you know, I know a, part, a few of the lines. You know, this is a song I've been hearing for 
40 plus years, but I never actually looked up the lyrics, but I did this week. And, and I knew most of the first verse, you know, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. Mr. Grinch, you're a black banana with a, or you're a, a, a bad banana with a greasy black peel. But, but verse number four, you're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. I don't know how I missed that for all these years, but what a great line and what a great picture because Isaiah himself tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags, that even the good things that we seek to do in life are like a bunch of dirty, unwashed socks. He says, your, full, your, your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. There are three words that best describe you as stink, stank, stunk. I knew that line. I just didn't know the other line. But verse 5 gets even better. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful slots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotted with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up and tangled up knots. Now, most of us would not like to picture ourselves that way. But the truth of the matter is, is all of us B.C. before Christ are a whole lot more like Mr. Grinch than Jesus himself. I mean, we are sinful to the core. And even still, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 says, who can even know it? Who can even know the depths of sinfulness in our life? And yet, at our worst, at our Mr. Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge worst moments, God sent the solution. And the solution is in Jesus. And he shows us clearly that the solution is not just in Jesus coming and living life as an example. Get this. It is not Jesus just coming to show us how to live a good life and setting a good example for us. It is not Jesus just preaching the word of God. But God's solution is wrapped up in Jesus and the substitutionary atonement that Jesus brings. Now, those are some big theological words. So let's think about that just for a moment. As we think about God's answer being the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, how does that work for us? Well, the Bible does say that all of us are sinners. Notice back with me in Isaiah chapter 53, and it gives that picture in verse number five. And notice how many times the word our or, or the word we is used. Notice, he was wounded for our transgressions. He wounded our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, he talks about transgression in verse number five. That gives the picture of rebellion, of crossing God's line. All of us at some point in our life have crossed God's line. Then he uses the word iniquity, and he repeats that word throughout Isaiah 53. That is the the picture of, of wickedness and rebellion. Then he, he gives the picture that, that we have gone astray. Notice in verse number six, all of us have gone astray. And then he says that we have gone our own way. So the picture is, is that in our sinful condition, we have crossed over God's line, done wicked things, gone our own way, and, and left the way that God desired for us. And because of that, we are a sinful Mr. Grinch. Now, most of us don't like to hear that kind of talk today. But this is the foundation of our hope, that in our sin and in our and at our worst, Jesus came. Why? Notice what Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. All we, verse 6, like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned our own way, and God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Substitutionary atonement means this, that Jesus stepped in as our substitute and took the penalty that God had, uh, through his justice, prepared for sin. And not only did Jesus take that sin willingly and perfectly and completely, remember, he cried, it is finished, But then what happens is that his righteousness and his goodness and his perfection then is placed on our account. Let's picture it this way. If you would take your life and sum it up in a Word document, okay? Everybody familiar with with your computer and a Word document? And you would take all the things that you have ever done wrong in your Word document. I mean, most of us, very small font, Lots and lots of pages. We're going to have to replace the, the, the ink in the printer. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, so we've got all of this, all of this sin in our life. And the Bible gives the picture of substitutionary atonement being this, that God scrolls and highlights over all of that and he hits cut. And then he goes to the cross where Jesus is and there he hits paste. And there when Jesus died on the cross, He took our sin. But it doesn't stop there. God then takes all of the righteousness of Jesus and he hits copy. He highlights all of Jesus' righteousness and hits copy. And then he goes over to our account and he hits paste. So that From a judicial perspective, when God sees us in our salvation, he does not see us in our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us. That is the essential element of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus took our place when he died on the cross. He took our penalty. He took our punishment. Remember, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but Jesus never sinned. Ezekiel 18.4 says that the soul that sins shall surely die. But Jesus never sinned. 
But he died taking our sin as a substitute and paying the price for that sin. And now we not only have forgiveness, but we have his righteousness. Can I tell you, you have something to be thankful for today. That, that you don't have to stand before God and, and try to explain how you lived your life trying to bring your good to outweigh your bad. That you don't have to stand before God in a judicial setting. Then God looks at the, the hundreds of thousands into the millions of billions of bad thoughts, ugly words, bad attitudes, things that we've done wrong and stand in judgment for that today because Jesus took that for us when he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And now he offers us that free gift of salvation. Jesus died for us. He, he goes on throughout Isaiah 53, and I wish that we could just plug all the, the whole uh, chapter. But notice with me in, in verse number eight at, the, at the, the last sentence. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Verse number 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus, Jesus died for our Sin. Be thankful for his sacrificial death. Thirdly, we have a reason to be thankful, and that is for his miraculous resurrection. Miraculous resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. We're not here today commemorating uh, someone who died. Now, if, if you saw the news this morning, the, uh, the man who played uh, Darth Vader, you know, talking about people that we think of being dark and sinful. The man who originally played Darth Vader in the first three Star Wars movies uh, died yesterday uh, or last night. Uh, you know what? It's going to be said about every one of us one day. He died or she died. But what makes Jesus' death different? Some people even die sacrificing their life for others. But what makes Jesus' death different? Well, what makes his death different is, is that he died and will never, ever die again. He died for our sin, substitutionary atonement. And he rose from the dead, showing his victory over sin and Satan, so that Jesus is alive. We're not remembering someone dead today. We're worshiping someone alive. Now, notice with me, because Isaiah 53 picks up on this. 700 years before Jesus came, the Bible would tell us that he is going to die. And yet, he is going to live. Notice with me. In verse number 12, pick up with me in, 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 in uh, actually verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And then notice, he shall prolong his days. Prolong his days. What does that mean? How is Jesus' days, how are they going to be, how are they going to be prolonged? He was going to die and he was going to rise again from the dead. He was not going to stay there. That picture of Jesus in his, his death, 
and his substitutionary atonement. I, I, I missed the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says that, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God in all of his justice poured out on Jesus. Uh, Jesus took our sin for us, but he rose from the dead. That's the miraculous moment. That's the reason that we sang because he lives today. Not because we're thinking about Easter. Oh, but yes, we are thinking about Easter because we can't separate his birth from his death, from his resurrection, his life. Do you remember in, in the gospel of John, when Jesus appears the first time to his disciples on that Sunday night after he rose from the dead, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas basically comes to the point and says, look, I am not going to believe this unless I can put my hand in the print of his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side. I want to see it. A week later, Jesus shows up on the scene. And as Jesus shows up on the scene, Thomas looks at him and he says, Thomas, put your hand, you know, take your hand, put it. Thomas doesn't need to touch anymore. And in John 20, 28, Thomas says this, my Lord and my God, undeniably calling Jesus God. He is the risen Savior. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Be thankful for his resurrection. So as you celebrate Christmas this year, celebrate Give gifts. The wise men brought gifts. You can do all of those kind of things. But don't get focused only on a baby in a manger. Recognize he died and now he rose again. Then fourthly, we see this. Be thankful not only for his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his miraculous Resurrection, but be thankful for his amazing salvation, his awesome, amazing salvation. Why did Jesus do all of this? Notice with me in verse number uh, back in in verse number 10 and 11. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. You shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. Jesus didn't have any children. Jesus was never married. He shall see his seed. Notice verse number 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What's he talking about? That Jesus has a seed and Jesus will justify many. He's talking about the fact that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be thankful because he has provided salvation so that we can stand before God justified. Now, you've had the big theological term of substitutionary atonement, where Jesus as a substitute took the penalty for our sin. Now he says that he could justify many. The word justified gives the picture that I stand before God just as if I'd never sinned. Why? 
Because I told you in the illustration of the Word document, all the sinful things in my life were highlighted by God and the cut button was hit and the copy button was taken to the cross so that when God sees me, he sees I don't have any sin. Jesus has paid for my sin. Matter of fact, that justification works in the fact that the other way as well, so that the justified position of Christ and his perfect righteousness is now put on my account. Be thankful for his amazing salvation. Have you experienced that? Has there been a time in your life where you know, he said, Lord, I, I know <laughs> I, I've sinned. I've done things wrong. I've thought things, said things, done things that have broken your laws and commands. And because of that, I come before you believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And I need Jesus in my life. Forgive me. Forgive me. I, uh, over this last year during covid started uh, taking Financial Peace University through Dave Ramsey. Most of you have probably heard of Dave Ramsey. And then I kind of got into the Financial Peace University, and so then I went through uh, the Financial Peace, Peace, the Ramsey Solutions coaching uh, network as well. And so I took uh, classes through Dave Ramsey's coaching. And, and the big goal, their, their big goal is ultimately to, to be able to live and give like no one else. But that that first real goal that they set for you is to be able to be debt free. And I've listened to dozens and dozens of testimonies of people who worked hard, took multiple jobs, sacrificed, saved, didn't go on vacation, didn't go out to eat, did all of these things so that they could ultimately be debt-free. And then they get on the Ramsey program and they give out a debt-free yell and they count, do the countdown and they count down and they yell, we're debt-free. And, you know, everybody applauds and listens. And can I tell you today, spiritually, not financially yet, but spiritually, I'm debt-free. Not because of my work, not, not because of my sacrifice, not because of my hard work, not because of the things that I was able to do or I am able to do or, or want to do. So that all the works that I can do right now are just a thank you for what the Lord Jesus has done for me. The picture is, is I'm debt free spiritually because of what Jesus has done. That's the picture. That my sin has been forgiven. That all of it has been paid for by Jesus at the cross. I am in right standing, in a righteous relationship with the Lord. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that the Lord holds me in his hand and no one and nothing can pluck me out. I am his. I know I'm his child adopted into his family. I know I'm his sheep received into his sheepfold. I know today that I have salvation because of what Jesus has done. So I want to encourage you as you go through the next few weeks, as you celebrate Christmas today, uh, uh, this next month, as, as you go through the times of visiting with family and friends, and you go through the difficult moments with your kids at school, and you face the trials of work being different, and you can't have the parties you used to have, and you can't get together like you used to, 
Be thankful for Jesus' perfect life. Be thankful for Jesus' sacrificial death. Be thankful for Jesus' miraculous resurrection. And be thankful for his amazing gift of salvation that saved a wretch like you and like me.